You are so clear and you're, you're so articulate in how you explain this. Like, I'm afraid I'm getting drawn into humanism. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like the humanist evangelist. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Kumar, I, I'll be honest with you. When somebody's thriving in their way of life, I don't care what they believe or don't believe, as long as it leads you to be a kind and good person. It's, it's only when people's belief systems cause them to reject other people mm. or, or to deny their own identity, yeah. to feel bad about themselves. That, I never try to win anybody away from their faith unless their faith isn't working for them. Yeah. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixon. Hey, I am really thrilled to have someone that I have known for a long time. Sadly, he doesn't know me. Um, Bart Campalo has been kind of a Christian. Wait, wait, wait a second, Kumar. Yeah. If you really knew me, you would know to pronounce my last name, Campolo. Campolo. Try again. Campolo. You did it. All right, Campolo. How, how come for the last 30 years I've been calling you Campolo? Because I was never in your presence when you said my name. Campolo. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. I'm learning, I'm learning something, Bart. Yeah. Well, you know, for over 30 years, I've known about you. And something you don't know is that, um, so this is embarrassing, but I'm, I have always been one of those like really, really crazy Jesus freaks, even like as a teenager, like really crazy Jesus freaks. And so Saturday afternoons for hours, I would watch your dad on our religious channel and, and watch like two or three like youth sermons of his in a row and just thought he was the most, I still do. I think, you know, Tony Campolo is like the greatest person ever. And by the way, his name also is Campolo. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Campolo. But and 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 you're right. He is a mesmerizing speaker. He um, is. Yeah, and I you know, I've seen him speak many 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 times, but probably in the 90s, um I used to pastor I was part of a, a really large church in Tacoma Park, Maryland, and we tried to get um Tony to come speak for a, a huge event and of course like he was like three years out on his calendar and never available to speak. And, yeah. and his people were like, well, you should have a son Bart come and speak. And I was like, I don't want like somebody's son. No, like, I hated it when they did that. This too. is like ridiculous. Who's Bart Campalo? 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 And so anyways, we ended up having you speak. And bro, I'm telling you, I was like on my feet. Like I was so mesmerized by your speaking and preaching and, and loved it. Well, you know, it's so funny that you should say that because back in the day, you know, when I was uh, on that evangelical circuit, I would sometimes get invited to speak places, but I never knew where the invitations came from. Yeah. You know, so, so hey, would you come? And yes, I would go. And I remember, I remember at least once um, sitting in the, in, in, in the, you know, waiting to be introduced. You're sitting on the dais yeah. and the guy gets up and he says, well, ladies and gentlemen, I, we tried, we really <laughs> wanted to get Tony Campolo and he couldn't come. And, and I've never heard Bart. I don't know. You know, I don't know what <laughs> happened, but you know, we figured like, as 
we try. So, ladies and gentlemen, Bar Camp Polo. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and you know, you should sort of go like. I, I remember thinking like, I don't want to go places anymore where they <laughs> yeah. wish where I where I'm definitely second choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're getting your dad's like crumbs, right? That, no. That so, is- I mean, the good news is nobody nobody in the evangelical world invites me to speak anymore. Um, so, uh, I never have to. I, I, it's been it's been many years since I had to worry about following in my father's footsteps. <laughs> right, right. Well, well let, let's talk about that because I know that you grew up in the church, and obviously, you grew up with in a with a famous father who you know preached nonstop around the world. And so there, you know, you kind of followed into your dad's business, you know, which a lot of preachers do, you know, so tell, tell me, you know, was there kind of a pivotal moment where you started kind of questioning your faith or have you always kind of just doubted what you believed? You know, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when people say you grew up in the church, I really didn't. Um, my dad, that was his thing. Mm-hmm. And I traveled around, you know, watching him do stuff and everything. But I never really identified, I, I wasn't very involved in any of it myself okay. until I was 15 years old. And when mm-hmm. I was 15, a guy in my soccer team in high school took me along to a mega church youth group hmm. and I got saved. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I had the full conversion experience. Okay. You know, um, fell in with this lovely, wonderful, dynamic group of young people, desperately wanted to be part of that community, eventually figured out like the only way to get in was to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so did that. And, and I mean, really, when, when I say I got, I got in, I mean, I, you know, we're out there on the retreat and there's 300 <laughs> kids and we're singing, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice and I felt the Holy Spirit sweep over me, you know, mm. and I had a transcendent moment yeah. in that context. And, and I, I really entered into Christianity. Um, you can know, we stop? Think, can we stop right there? Yeah. Before you, before you even go further, because I'm really curious to know, you know, 30 years later, do you believe that was the Holy Spirit? um over you or do you think that was you got caught up in kind of a wave of emotions yeah no i mean i don't believe in i i don't believe in a god right anymore like right but but i really believe in transcendent moments okay. um and i think that if i i think that we can manufacture those moments i mean if mm. you haven't ever experienced my secular friends say i bet you're embarrassed that you you say you felt the holy spirit and i'm like Dude, if you haven't experienced a transcendent moment, you haven't been to the right rock concert. <laughs> yeah, you haven't yeah. done the right drugs. You haven't right. had sex with the right partner. Yeah. Like, like there are these moments at which we kind of feel like we are overwhelmed and we are take we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And I think whatever narrative that you're in, when you have that moment, it confirms that narrative. Mm. So I think if I would have had a transcendent moment on a Muslim retreat, I would have said, Allah, yes, it's true. Mm. If I would have had that moment while I was, uh, you know, in a Hindu temple, I think I would have gone, oh, this, this is the true path. Mm. Um, for me, I was, I was in an evangelical Christian youth retreat. So it was Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, those, those events, those are real things. And that's why I, you know, like I never, question somebody's spiritual experience mm-hmm. so when somebody says like i heard the voice of god i go like oh yeah i'm sure you did mm-hmm. like 
-hmm. like like the experience like whether it's a voice that's coming from another part of your brain yeah or whether it's a voice that's coming from the almighty creator of the universe mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes it sounds the same when you feel when you when, when you when you hear that voice mm-hmm. that's a real thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i don't think there's any evidence that that it's that it's not just something happening in my brain and um and the christian narrative itself ultimately became really problematic for me but yeah, no, those were real experiences. And, and when I became a Christian as a young person, I mean, I was, I was that guy at your high school, you know, carrying my Bible everywhere. Mm-hmm. I would have been sitting right next to you in Jesus free class, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, leading, leading Bible studies and, and, and trying to draw kids into the youth group. And the first thing anybody asked me to do for Jesus was to go and run a summer camp in an inner city neighborhood across the river from Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And that was where, when you say like, when did it start to fall apart? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, it started to fall apart like 10 minutes after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Wow. The, na- the narrative of Christianity was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Community of Christians was so wondrous for me that I, I fought through all my troubles with the narrative because I wanted to be part of the community. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because that's very, very different than a lot of people who leave the church because most people leave the church not necessarily over theolo- theology, but really over climate issues in the church. And for you, you're saying the community was very, very part of who you were. Oh, yeah. Kumar, Leah, people are always saying, writing me letters saying, I'm so sorry about the way that, you know, Christians sort mm-hmm. of like, I'm so sorry that you were hurt by the church on behalf of Jesus. I apologize. Like, can, <laughs> you know, they want me to reconsider because they're, they're, they're convinced I got screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is that I was around the nicest kinds of Christians and we did really good work. You know, mm-hmm. creating space for people, helping poor children learn to read, you know, doing good stuff in Haiti. I, I loved, I mean, the, I loved being a Christian. And I, I remember I, following you, like, you know, you, they, you were kind of the church's poster child. I mean, you were on Christianity Today, Sojourners, like articles about all that you were doing in Philadelphia. And it was like pretty, pretty amazing the impact that, that you were involved with. I was just with good people. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we did, you know, and for me, what Christianity was, is I was a nice kid in high school mm. and I walked into this youth group. It looked like a club for nice kids mm-hmm. and like, let's all be nice together and let's try to make things better for other people. And what's funny is like, you know, when people say, well, what happened after you left the faith? I'm like, well, you, what you got to understand is the same values that drew me to Christianity Mm-hmm. I wanted to be part of a group of people who were kind and were going to make the world better for other people. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, within Christianity, when I couldn't believe in God anymore, I didn't change the values. I just was like, oh, like I need a new narrative. I need a new way to pursue being a kind and good person and making things better for other people because I'm still convinced that's the best way of life. Right. So the more the moral and kind of ethical trajectory never changed. It's just really kind of the the, the narrative of Christianity is what really started changing for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough narrative. Yeah. You know, you got people rising from the dead, flying off into heaven. You have mm-hmm. you you know you you have et- you know the promise of eternal utopia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or everlasting damnation, depending on what tradition you're a part of. Like, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, it it's a it's a really hard to swallow 
narrative. I mean, I mean, if you took science and you blew it all up, yeah, in a couple hundred years, people would come up with all the same theorems, all the same formulas. Like it, mm. it's, it's just it would all be the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Christianity is a very improbable narrative. If you blew that sucker up, nobody could ever invent something that bizarre again. Like, right. oh, he was born in a manger to a virgin yeah. who is, you know, like, come on. It's it's it doesn't it's not easy. I mean, even the Apostle Paul says. This is foolishness to the ones who can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't just seem like, oh, there's a plausible thing, but I'm struggling to get into it. Right. They're like, it looks in, it looks batshit crazy if yeah, you don't, I, if you don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, the idea that some supernatural force came down and then turned into the creation, the meager creation that he created to live amongst them. Like, I, I always imagine, like, like because me coming back as a dog or an ant. And then try to like save the ants, <laughs> you know, like, why would I do that? Right. I mean, the why is easier to understand than like, why not just fix it if right. you're almighty God? Right. Like, right. like, oh, he wants to forgive everybody, but he has to kill somebody. Like, mm-hmm. like I know right, you're right. supposed to, you're supposed to just forgive each other 70 times seven, but God, he'd like to forgive you, but he has to murder somebody to make it possible. Right. I mean, so it just, it just what, doesn't. Flow. When did this deconstruction kind of occur for you, Bart? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it happened over a number of years, but where was that moment where you're kind of like, man, I can't live like this? Oh, you know, it, I mean, it died the death of a thousand cuts over many years. And yeah. I and I just kept changing my theology. I just kept getting, you know, I was a universalist and then I was marrying gay people. And then, you know, like like you you, you move and, and you get to the place where you're like, you don't actually expect God to do anything. Mm-hmm. You're just like, he's a good example. Yeah. Um, and uh, I worked in inner city ministry for 20 years. And, you know, we asked God to do all sorts of really basic things. And mm-hmm. he did not seem to show up mm-hmm. very often. Or, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of, I would say like, I experienced as precisely as many miracles as you would experience if miracles happen by random chance. Um, <laughs> you know, like, every now and then something amazing would happen. But, like that's just the nature of the universe. Um, and so what happened to me was ultimately, you know, I was, I was pretty far afield. Yeah. And, uh, but, and, and so I would, I would preach kind of in that, you know, if you think of a Venn diagram, two circles overlapping, mm-hmm. I would speak and preach in that little narrow thing of like what was left of what I believed that ma- overmatched with what the rest of the church believed. Mm-hmm. And then I had a bike crash, mm. um, a really bad one in which, you know, I went off the road at like 40 miles an hour, according to my speedometer and mm. uh, going a big downhill and smashed my helmet and four pieces and, wow. you know, and was, and, and couldn't think straight for a month. Wow. Was, wow. You know, and, and when I finally recovered, I remember saying to my wife, like, I'm pretty sure that my identity is here in my brain. Mm. And like, cause if you smash my identity against a tree at 40 miles an hour, it changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when I die, I won't exist anymore. Mm. And I think this is all we get. Wow. And I remember my wife looking at me and saying, I think you need to stop being a professional Christian because <laughs> there's nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's nothing left. You, you, you don't, you don't believe even the most basic 
element of it. Um, you're so what it was our part of you, Bart, that, you know, I recently interviewed John Steingard, the lead singer of, of Hawk Nelson, you know, who um, is a, one of the top Christian bands, you know, for, for the last 15 years. And he just recently came out as, as an atheist. And, um, and I was like, bro, you can't do that, man. Like, this is like, this is like your financial well-being. Like, this is what, this is who you are. Like, it's not like just saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a plumber or a dentist sure, and, sure. and I'm giving this up. This is your identity. And, and even for you, Bart, like within, you know, Christian circles, you had kind of a little kingdom that you could kind of live under um, financially. So it was our part of you that was kind of like, you know what? I, I kind of need this gig because it's also paying the bills. Well, you know, what's interesting, Kumar, is that I had moved, I, I had run this big nonprofit organization mm -hmm. and in Philadelphia. And when I left that, I wanted to go back to street level work. So I went, I moved to Cincinnati mm -hmm. where some friends of mine lived and we lived in community in a, in a neighborhood. And I went back to street level ministry and that mm -hmm. did two things for me. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I didn't have to raise money anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I could make enough just <laughs> traveling around giving talks that I yeah. didn't have to raise any money. And it was interesting how when I stopped having to raise money, my newsletters became a lot more honest. Mm. Um, Upton Sinclair once said, it's very difficult to convince a man to change his mind about something if his salary depends upon him not changing it. And, yeah. um, and I hadn't realized how much money, how, how, it, needing the approval of the evangelical community sort of kept me from, not, not from, it didn't make me a liar. It kept me from asking questions that I, I, I maybe suspected I wouldn't want the answers to. Yeah. And when the money ceased to be an issue, mm -hmm. I, you know, that I started, I, I was free to think. And of course, when I was back at street level, uh, working with people whose lives were, you know, just broken beyond repair, you ask different questions. And so, yeah. so being, being there was a, you know, big part of what, what was going on with me. But by the time I had that bike crash, I knew I, like, I knew I'd be okay. I mean, mm -hmm. my wife and I lived really cheap. Mm -hmm. um, she and I were on the same page. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm an Ivy League graduate, you mm -hmm. know, a reasonably, you know, thoughtful person. I, like, I knew I could get a job that would earn enough money, you know, like I could sell insurance or work yeah. at Walmart. Like I, 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 I wasn't worried. I didn't have a huge lifestyle to sustain. Okay. Um, it's much more about, it was much more about my identity. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. it was much more about, I was somebody in that world. Yeah. And, um, and I knew who I was. I knew how to, I knew how to move. I had a language. I had a whole kind of thing going on. And so I understand, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I hear from pastors every week who are like, yeah, I don't believe it anymore either, but this is my livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I help a lot of people in this role mm. and I don't know what else I would do. I mean, typically what happens is most, most pastors 
you know, Malcolm Gladwell has that rule of 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. It takes you 10,000 hours to master anything. Most of the Christians I know never spend 10,000 hours really thinking about the implications of their narrative. Mm. But pastors do. Yeah. And they usually hit 10,000 hours at about 45. Yeah. Yeah. And the weird thing about Christianity is you spend 10,000 hours thinking about it. For a lot of people, they go like, it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they are trapped. They have, they have jobs, they have pensions, and they are, unfortunately, in many ways, at, at least as far as training, and, and, and they're good for nothing else. Yeah. What yeah. else are you going to do? You're kind of stuck in, in midlife. Of, were you worried about letting your dad down or even kind of embarrassing or tarnishing his reputation because this was going to become a big deal in the evangelical community? I, I was. I mean, I was worried about letting a lot of people down, mm-hmm. you know, um, but my dad's a, an important person to me and somebody who I, I have a very close relationship with. And I, on the one hand, I knew my parents well enough to know that they weren't going to cast me aside, that they weren't yeah. going to renounce me, that they did, that, that, that e- even their theologies weren't such that they thought that like God was going to burn me forever for not having the right theology. Mm-hmm, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they weren't that kind of Christians. They aren't that kind of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that wasn't the concern, but yeah, yeah. I knew it was going to be hard on them and, and it was hard on them. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know how hard it was on them, you know, he, my dad, I, and I, like, ultimately we wrote a book about our experience together. We, and, and then some guy came along and made a documentary about our relationship because he was like, this is really weird because yeah. these people are close and they are still in very close conversation, even though the sun has really gone the other way. Yeah. Um, and so like that stuff's out there. Yeah. I've seen, I've watched the videos of you and your dad in, in conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you watch that documentary? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, just the openness that you both can have with, with each other, I, I think is really, really remarkable. And, and Kumar, you know, you're buddies with my friend Samir, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, okay, so like Samir Salmanovich, did I pronounce his last name right? I pronounce it Salmanovic, but we'll have Ooh, to ask Samir. I think he, whatever, you know, we yeah. all get each other's last names wrong. That's right. Um, so, uh, so he's a classic person who in New York City created this congregation that the one thing you could kind of count on is, is that nobody thought anybody else was going to hell. Right. You right. can't be together with other people in uh-huh. a comfortable way. You can't relax and be like, live and let live. Let's, what do you think? I'm curious. You know, it's hard to be curious about somebody if you think that if they don't end up agreeing with you, they're going to burn in hell forever, particularly if you like them. Yeah. So the one thing I can tell you about virtually every good relationship I've seen between people of different faiths. It's that at some level, the people that have that relationship are confident that the eternal destiny of the other person doesn't rest upon it, mm-hmm. upon their, upon their, their being right the, theologically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a kind of Christian that I can be very close to. And then mm-hmm. there's a kind of Christian that I can't, not because I dislike them, but because mm-hmm. they literally can't be in my presence without simultaneously being terrified for me and desperately afraid of me. Mm. 
Because yeah. what if what if I got under this? What if something I said made sense? Mm-hmm. What if I'm the beginning of the slippery slope to doom? Yeah. And so and so they, they don't want their kids to hang around with me. Don't think Bart is a nice guy. I know Bart looks like he's cool and he's and he's having a good life, but you he's not really happy. Yeah. Um, and so if you come from that kind of exclusivist tradition that there's only one way to be okay. Mm. By the way, if if you're an atheist, a hardcore one of those angry atheist who mm. believes that the that if somebody believes in god they can't possibly be authentic or they can't possibly be be sincere they're equally there you can't be friends with those people yeah 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 because you're, you're not aligned it's it's very hard to even have the same you know share any kind of a semblance with the worldview yeah you know, when, I, when I mean, and, and don't get me wrong like i can only get like in when married couples come to me and one of them's made that transition mm-hmm. um they're gonna struggle because intimacy almost always like there's friendship which difference is fine in friendship yeah in an intimate relationship in a marriage you want to you want to be living in the same world mm-hmm. you don't you mm-hmm. when when the, when the tragedy strikes you don't want one person to believe it is like all part of the will of god and the other person to, to believe it's random chance. Like the, yeah. it, it's hard to comfort each other under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, th- there are real barriers that, that faith or the lack of faith can create, but they're not insurmountable in a, in a friendship or even in a parent parenting relationship, but they yeah. are insurmountable if you're convinced that the other person is doomed to everlasting damnation. Right, right. All right. What What do you miss about Christianity? I mean, just the culture. I, I would say I miss the music, but I still sometimes listen to the music. Mm-hmm. What do you um, listen to still? I, I mean, I listen to old hymns. I mean, I, I always hated contemporary Christian music. Most of that stuff was pretty derivative and, and not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just to be honest, like, I mean, I people used to send me Christian albums all the time and we would put them on in, in, in the office. And I would say, what does this sound like? And everybody would say, every other Christian album I've ever heard. And then yeah, we throw it yeah. away. Um, but uh, I mean, I, that's, I'm too mean, but, but, but boy, the gospel music, mm-hmm. black church choirs, mm-hmm. the old hymns. I love all that stuff. You know, uh, you know, I, you know, it only takes a spark. I mean, you can get any one of my age. We all sang that song in youth group and, 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 and it makes us smile. Yeah. And so I, I love the music. I loved you know, I loved getting together. I mean, what I do now as a humanist is I, I try to create congregations and get people together for emotionally resonant experiences mm. in which we celebrate our fondest values mm-hmm. and challenge each other to live up to them. And you yeah. go like, wow, that sounds like church. And you go like, yes, mm-hmm. I need that. I mean, the inauguration day, yeah, that was like a church service for me. Right, mm-hmm. so the poetry, the music, the speeches—we're mm-hmm. all calling ourselves to. That was like secular church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I need that about every week mm-hmm. because I I leak it out so fast. Right. I, you know, I, I I build up my hope and my resolve, and then the, the 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 rest of life kicks it out of me, and I have to come back. You know, and that and so I miss the tribal gathering, mm. the tribal centerpiece values. Mm-hmm. that keep me feeling connected to other people. And, and that's why I, you know, I think that ultimately I think it's becoming harder and harder in this age 
to believe in any of those narratives as literally true. Yeah. And that's why I think it really becomes important that somebody come up with a, a, a form of spirituality that doesn't require supernatural credulity. Mm -hmm. Supernatural credulity is becoming a harder and harder thing to come by in this age, but people still have deep spiritual needs. Do you, do you find yourself kind of like slipping or just, you know, kind of just going back into old routine and, and praying just, and you're like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? I'm praying to God. No, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, for, for the last 15 years of my Christian life, I could barely pray. I mean, God never did anything. Yeah. And so um, I, I meditate mm -hmm. and I still pray in a secular way. Like, like I would pray if a friend of mine has cancer, mm -hmm. what I'll say to them is, Hey, in my own sort of secular way, I'll be praying for you, which really means I will speak your name out loud. Mm. And I will say, I really hope Joe gets better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you do that, you think I should call Joe. Mm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do that. You think I should send Joe some money. And, 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 and so you say, well, does prayer ever actually change anything? And I go like, oh, sure prayer changes things i don't think god changes anything but mm -hmm. i think the act of thinking about people in a, in a benevolent way and articulate sometimes i'll say it's like kumar if you were my buddy and you said told me i cancer i go like okay kumar here's what i want you to understand is i love you very much i really hope you get better but even if you don't i really hope that you feel comforted and cared for by the people that love you and, and, and I want you to know that you're, you're so important to me and, and I'm so hurting about this. And you're like, well, that's praying. Yeah. And, and, and in a sense, you say, well, didn't it do, when, when somebody would tell me that before, I'd say, let's pray about it. Mm -hmm. What I was really saying to them is, I love you very much. I care very much. About, and here's what I hope happens. Mm -hmm. And so that on that level, I still pray. The idea that I would appeal to some almighty force. I mean, honestly, if the almighty force is good, mm -hmm. they shouldn't need my, like, they don't need me to tell them what to do. Right. They, they already know what's, what needs to be done. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you know, and, and so it, it never fully made sense to me on that level. Mm -hmm. And the, the cold, hard reality is, is like, you know, I prayed for really basic stuff for many years and, you know, like for a little girl to stop getting sexually abused by her uncle. And mm. she didn't stop, like, and nothing happened. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like, you know, at some point I gave that up long before I gave up calling, calling myself a Christian. Mm -hmm. I gave up expecting that God did anything. Mm. Mm -hmm. So where do you find goodness in the world? I mean, you know, there, I, I, I can like. Oh, Kumar, I'm looking at you. <laughs> You're not looking at goodness, man. This is, this is a broken vessel here, but. But, you, you know, like there, there's this idea that, you know, and I'll speak in Christian language because you, you know what I'm what I mean by that. It's I'm like fluent. I'm fluent you know, in that language. Only Christians, you know, only we can like find good in this world because we have God, you know. So, you know, with that kind of idea, you know, I, I, I obviously believe that people who are not Christians can also experience that level of goodness as well. So where do you find it's very generous of you? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, where do you find goodness? You know, where do you find ins inspiration? You know, I really believe that 
love emerged. Like if you, if, if, if you understand anything about like evolution by natural selection, mm-hmm. the different living organisms mutate in different ways and they find, and some of those mutations work and help them to survive and, and thrive and propagate and, and they, they stick and the other ones don't work and they die out. And they, and it goes, and it goes in different, different animals have different strategies for survival. Mm-hmm. And mammals figured out if we care for each other and care for our young, mm-hmm. we can survive in tribes. Mm-hmm. We can survive in groups. We can pods and, and we'll look after each other. And, and, and I think at, at some point in that, this consciousness of, oh, I have an instinct, like what happens to you matters to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy when you're happy. Mm-hmm. And I'm set and I hurt when you get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that connection between us, that, lo- when, that love that emerged, whenever I see that, mm-hmm. people say, yeah, but you just believe it's a natural phenomenon. You believe that you are hardwired to care about your children. I go like, I know. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And they go, but you only love it because you're hardwired to think it's a good thing. And I go, I know I love that too. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I like, I I find beauty in whatever causes living things to thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you said to me like what what is what, I mean the one thing that all living things you from you all the way down to a protozoa mm-hmm. to a, to a one celled organism have in common is is that is that in your basic DNA is an instinct to survive and propagate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not even to survive. Like you'll sacrifice yourself for your children. It's a desire to see your kind move forward. Mm-hmm. Like that's the love of life. Not just your life. Yeah. The love of life itself is the most basic and fundamental value. All living things share it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wherever I see that love of life expressed, mm. I find beauty. Yeah, that's beautiful. He, Bart, my my only hiccup with humanism and atheism, um, I, you know, I, I teach comparative religions, and so there's a lot of other religions that I love as well. You know, outside of Christianity, um, one of the, you know, pro- probably the one religion that um, I have a hard time with them is, is Sikhism, because like atheism and humanism, Sikhism doesn't have, doesn't believe in a second or afterlife. So it's just basically you live your this is life, it, baby, this is it, this is it. And do you do the best you can make a contribution and goodbye, you know? So I think I'm so hardwired as in my Christianity that, you know, that idea of not having a paradise of not having a second, you know, coming or, or, or heaven that really like makes me sad. You know, so how, how do you, how are you content with that? How do you, how do you not have that kind of hope that there's something else, you know, you're going to come back as a butterfly or at, at least something, you know, I'll give you two thoughts. I'll give okay. you two thoughts. I mean, the first is, is that the, the, the hope of immortality is as basic. I mean, it is fundamental like wherever you, if you love somebody and they die, mm-hmm. 
it's the, the most natural thing in the world is to say, I hope I see them again. Mm. I hope this, that's not it. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, and so the idea, like you might say, Bart, how don't you wish that we lived forever? I'm like, like, of course, who mm -hmm. would like, I want to see my loved ones again. Sure. Yeah. You know, but, but like, I, there are a lot of things that I want. I would like to play in the NBA. That's never going to happen. Like, like, like a big part of mortality is accepting limitations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the fact that, so, so, so first of all, there's nothing unnatural about, about hoping for eternity. Mm. And, and that's why in every culture that, that sort of springs up somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no, like for me, there, there's no evidence that that's true. It, 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 there's an evidence that it's a, that 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 people want it, mm -hmm. but there's no evidence that it actually exists. But yeah. here's the thing: is when I really think about it, I'm not even sure. I mean, I remember being in church and singing, like, you know, and and you know, when we've been there ten thousand years, bright signing the sun, will no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. And I remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, that's heaven. We're going mm -hmm. to be singing praise songs forever. Ever. <laughs> that's not my definition of paradise. That's my definition of hell. Like, like, I, like are you kidding me? Um, and so, so with every depiction I've ever seen of eternal life, yeah, it's a curse. Mm, interesting. Um, I'm a human being. I can only maintain a certain number of memories. Mm -hmm. And so if you keep giving me new experiences, eventually I'll lose all the old experiences. Mm. In which case I might as well be dead that person who remembered those experiences would be dead. And you say, oh, no, no, but you'll be given an amazing capacity, an infinite capacity to, to take in new experiences and hold on to the old ones. I go, like, oh, so I won't be human anymore. I'll be something different, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, so, so then the me that is human won't exist anymore. It'll be this other me that's amazing and, and human. And I go, like, it just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But more importantly, it's the limit. It's the, it's the deadline mm -hmm. that creates the urgency for us to connect with each other. Mm. You fall out with somebody and you go like, well, I, I need to go, I need to go make it right. And you go, like, but what if you had an infinite number of days? You're like, I'll get to that. I'll get to right. that. I'll get yeah. to that. You know, but, but if you've ever been at somebody's deathbed, all mm -hmm. of a sudden they're like, I didn't mean it. I, I love you. They say mm -hmm. things, they do things. There's a sense in which it is the knowledge that, that our time is finite, that makes it so precious. Mm. And so I'm actually not at all convinced that if, if we had eternal life, that it would, that it would be a gift. I, I, I think, I think it is the limitation that is the gift. And you say, but I can't imagine not existing. And I go, yeah. you know what? For 13 billion years, I didn't exist. Mm. I, mm. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it didn't bother me. I don't right. remember, I don't remember being troubled by it in the least. And, and I believe that after I die for 13 billion years, I won't exist. And I don't think it'll trouble me then either. This is my brief vacation from non-existence. This is my brief moment of consciousness. Mm. And one of the keys to making the most of it is not being fooled into thinking that you have an infinite supply of days. When in fact you have a very limited supply and you must invest them very carefully.
Mm. So I, the, the only thing I don't like about, well, no, there's lots of things I don't like about Christianity, like, in, you know, original sin, the idea that you're like born deserving of hellfire and damnation. Like mm. there's lots of crazy right. stuff there. But, but one of the things that I particularly don't like about Christianity that worries me about Christianity, like usually I'm like, hey, if your faith is making you happy, you just keep going with it. The only thing I fear is when I watch people making decisions mm. that are clearly made in the conviction that they have an infinite amount of time so people go off to africa as missionaries and leave their families behind and they go like oh but god will reward us later like it's all going to be worth it and, and, and you think just no 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 baby no yeah. no no if you're wrong this if this is it mm. if this is it if this is it you should love the ones you love and and and, and stay close to them and so I, i'm I'm not at all convinced. I, I, there are lots, I, I raise children and what a child wants and what's in its best interests are two different things. <laughs> yep. 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 And I'm convinced that yep. when it comes to this eternal life thing, what we want and what's in our best interest as a species, as individuals for the sake, if love is your ultimate value, I'm not convinced that eternal life would be at all a gift. Mm. And, and the more I think about it, the less I miss it. Wow. I, I've eaten a lot of good meals, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. But at some point in the meal, you've had enough. Mm -hmm. And there's a time, there's a time when, when, when you say like, you know what, I, I, I've had it. I, I've had enough. And I, I have a feeling that if, if I live my life right, there comes a point towards the end. And I've been with a lot of older people who said like, I love this life. I've had enough. Mm. Bro, I, I, you, you are so clear in your, you're so articulate in how you explain this. Like, I'm afraid I'm getting drawn into humanism. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like the humanist evangelist. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Kumar, I, I'll be honest with you. When somebody's thriving in their way of life, mm. I don't care what they believe or don't believe as long as it leads you to be a kind and good person, I, mm. it's, it's only when people's belief systems cause them to reject other people mm. or, or to deny their own identity or yeah. to feel bad about themselves. That I never try to win anybody away from their faith unless their mm. faith isn't working for them. Yeah. But yeah. when somebody, when somebody out there is feeling like it's incredibly hard for me to stay in this, Mm -hmm. This makes me feel bad. I feel like a sinner all the time or, or, you know, I know gay people in the evangelical church. Like, I, I feel like I, 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 what I am is an abomination before God. I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, there, there are other ways to live for love. Mm. There are other ways. So I never, I never want to win anybody away from something that's working. Mm -hmm. But what I always want to say to somebody is this, is there comes a place where you start to see that this thing, you can't hold it together. I want to stand there and shout out, you know what? It, it, it can still be okay. Mm. Like this doesn't mean you'll never have close friendship again. It doesn't mean you'll ever, never have a sense of mission again. It doesn't mean you'll never do things that you think are exciting. It doesn't mean that you'll never be able to celebrate being part of something bigger than yourself. We're all part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of life. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Bart, where can people find you? I mean, you just mentioned your podcast humanize me super easy to find if you can spell my name you don't even have to pronounce it right but if you can spell it 
I'm Bart Campolo, C-A-M-P-O-L-O. And like, if you Google my name, you'll get to my website and there's a place where you can contact me and you can send me an email. If you, if, if you want some coaching or consulting in your spiritual transition, you, uh, there's a place there. If you want to listen to my podcast, it's there. Um, I'm so easy to find. Um, and uh, none of it makes any money, but it's, it's, it's all really joyful stuff. Well, thanks for taking the time to meet with me, man. I really, really appreciate you kind of sharing your, your journey. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I just listened to like Super Soul Sunday. And I'm so inspired just listening to you. Hey, well, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed yeah. to we're supposed to inspire each other. Um, right. We're supposed to we're supposed to help each other make the most of this life. And uh, and I, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, man. Well, thanks so much. All right. <laughs>